Hello, and welcome to the World Schooling Space, the podcast that is here to help people embrace their journey into world schooling. Each episode, I look at different aspects of world schooling and talk with other people about their experiences. This is episode eight, and I'm your host, Irene Jenelin. My guest today is Trace Owens. He and his wife, Ashley, and their nine-year-old daughter, Erin, started traveling around North America in their RV in August of 2019. They left the U.S. in March of 2022 and have been world schooling since. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Trace, and welcome to the world schooling space. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk with you. And maybe I should share for our listeners that you and I have met because of a a project that we're both participating in called the Traveling Village. Um, But we haven't actually met in person yet. We'll be meeting each other in just over a month in Vietnam. And I'll share links to the Traveling Village project in the show notes for this episode. But I'm really excited to talk with you today just to learn a little bit more about your story and how you and your family got interested in world schooling. And maybe we could start with that. Like, what is your story behind world schooling and how you got started? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that's always a really good question because that's the most common thing that we get from people who find out what we're doing. But when we had our daughter, we wanted to immediately homeschool her. There was nothing more than we wanted just to spend every waking minute with her and experience life through her eyes again and then show her new things and do new stuff. Her her mom and I come from public school systems in Texas. And so when we started thinking about where we wanted our child to go to school, we thought, you know, this the, the school system is, is good. I mean, it produces good results um, in general, but there's so many better ways. There's so many better things to do. And so we started traveling around. We uh, lived in a motorhome for three years, traveling around the U.S., starting when Aaron was five. And before that, we had already sold our home and was living in an RV stationary because we wanted to be able to do more stuff and afford more things to go and enjoy more experiences. And so while we were traveling, we just thought, you know, homeschooling is the way that we want to go. We really enjoy it. She's really enjoying it. And she's getting a lot more education from the real world through real life experiences, seeing things and touching things rather than reading about them in books. And this term world schooling, I hadn't heard of at this point. And Ashley is really big into some Facebook communities where people like to travel. So we were actually with a traveling group of RVers for quite a few years um, called full-time families where we all traveled around kind of independently, but we'd meet up in these groups and all collaboratively get together and the kids would have and share experiences and talk about things and learn from one another. And then we found out that this was like a thing going around the world. So that's when we decided we don't have to stay put in where we are in North America. We could actually go and experience this all over the place. So we just packed up what little bit we had sold, what little bit we had remaining, and headed off to South America and kind of began our journey world schooling 
by going to Ecuador and the Galapagos. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, I've also been to Ecuador and Galapagos. It's, it's fun to learn about where you've been and where we've been. And it kind of makes me wonder if we were ever like in the same country at the same time, not knowing, but you know. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're finding yeah. out it's a really small world as well. Yeah, that's neat. And I think um, Ashley learned about the Traveling Village Project and was one of the first people to be really passionate and wanting to join as well. So I feel like you, I know Ashley, I think, I'm not sure if you do a lot of searching online as well, but seem to be pretty on top of like searching out experiences to join into in the future. Do you kind of divide and conquer in your relationship? Does Ashley do more of the searching for opportunities? She is probably the main driver of finding the experiences and locations and where we want to go. And then I help with the logistics and I work uh, so that we can afford to be able to go and do all this stuff, but also try to keep in mind kind of the budget of what we can and cannot do. Cause there's, you know, it's an infinite world of things of possibilities. And so that kind of helps limit and gauge what we exactly we are going to do when we get to where we go and how we're going to get there. But she sure. definitely does the brunt of the work for sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, and if you don't mind me asking, um, a lot of folks, when they find out about this world schooling lifestyle, their first question right away is, well, how can I afford to do this? Or what could I do in order to be able to get on the road? And would you be willing to share a little bit how you've been able to do that for your family? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's shockingly affordable. You can find and select places where you know that your dollar is going to go farther. And so you can try to make sure that you headline those destinations. For example, one of those was Egypt. We spent, I think, $400 in housing for two months in Egypt. And the flights <clears throat> were fairly affordable only because we had already been in Turkey. So the flights down were very inexpensive, I think maybe $100 a person. And the transportation in Egypt is very I mean, I wouldn't say efficient, but it, it is efficient for what they have in place. And it was extremely affordable. So doing those kinds of things made this uh, very budget friendly. And so I work in healthcare. I do telemedicine and I work to where I can have a good, happy work life balance. So I make sure that we have enough to be able to do what we do and then try to make sure I have enough time to be able to enjoy those experiences and try to remind myself I'm not always on vacation, but I also am not in that Monday through Friday, nine to five grind mentality as well. But there are places that can be very expensive. And so there's different ways to offset that. We've done house sitting, we've done pet sitting, and that has been able to allow us to stay in some places that are quite more expensive and still be able to afford and do experiences there. Okay, sure. Yeah, I believe we've chatted, like, for example, when you were in the UK doing house-sitting gig, perhaps, with, or pet-sitting for a dog. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that makes good sense. That's much more expensive lodging. So if you can offset that while you're exploring the area, 
That's a great way to get started. And also I've heard from Ashley, I haven't been to Egypt myself, but the, the Luxor hub sounds like a really great uh, program there as well. It was amazing. It was amazing for the hands-on experience and just for the sheer geographical aspects. Uh, those are some locations that I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd ever get to experience. And then to actually see the things in person that we've only seen in books was just fantastic. And Aaron learned so many amazing things about the culture and the community. And like we were on the West Bank of Luxor, so it's like a whole different world over there. It was just a really, really cool experience. Highly recommend. Okay, cool. Yeah, good to know. I will definitely keep it in mind. And for people listening as well, it's a good thing to know that that exists. Um, uh, one question I like to ask my guests as well is if you can think of a top 10 moment that you've had during your world schooling experience that you might be willing to share with our listeners. So top 10 moment for me personally, um, Ashley didn't do this because she's not a huge fan of windy roads or heights. Uh, but while we were in Turkey, there is a ski mountain and a paragliding mountain right next to the ocean. And Aaron is a daredevil. And so she and I paraglided off the side of this mountain over Eludinez, which is near Petie in Turkey. That is definitely a top 10 for sure. Wow. Oh my gosh. Did you guys do separately with people with each of you or like on the same paraglider? Oh yeah. I, I am not a paraglider. So it was an instructor with each of us, but okay. um, a lot of that computation didn't go through my brain as we get up there that she's going to be with someone else. Although I already knew the guy and, and knew who she was going to be with. Uh, but as soon as I saw her strapping in and taking off, I thought, I don't know how I feel right now at the moment because I just saw my daughter fly off a mountain with a stranger. <laughs> but I could hear her giggling and her her like screams of laughter, and that just made it all worthwhile. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. That's really cool. Nice. Nice. Cool. Thanks for sharing. It makes me think, if I may share, we were in Costa Rica when Ani was three and she really wanted to do a zip line tour. So we found a place that was willing to really, you know, find a harness that would fit little Ani. And the way it went was she was the last one with the guide to come. And so I had to go, Andy went and then I went and then I'm like, okay, I hope she comes. You know, she's three, so I'm new to parenting kind of and didn't really know what I could do. I'm up on these trees zip lining and... Thankfully, she was like, all right, you know, and she went with the guide and came to join us and it was a good tour. But yeah, you never quite know how your child's going to yeah. react yeah. to that setting. Cool. Definitely adds to the thrill. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, a question I have, I think you've kind of mentioned it, but how long have you guys been traveling? I know it's been at least three years for you guys. Is that right? Maybe more? Yeah, we sold everything in 2017, but we were stationary until um, 2019. So August 2019 is when we technically set sail and left our home base of Austin, Texas, and then uh, just traveled the U.S., Canada, and Mexico 
uh, in the RV. So, but we actually, I don't know if I want to count that as world schooling, although we did go to a few foreign countries, but we officially left the United States in March of 22. Okay. Yeah. So what is your definition of world schooling? Because I know it's different for every family. It is. And that's kind of a hard one because I think it can be very subjective because I've heard from different people, different ways to interpret it. And I think our kind of version is that it's just experiencing what isn't local or necessarily in your neighborhood firsthand and getting that kind of education about different cultures and different ethnicities and different lifestyles and different places. So it doesn't have to be that you left the country, but it definitely helps that you do because I think especially in North America and the United States, there's a little bit of an isolation that there is this other stuff going on, but it's not very impactful for us inside the United States. And when you actually get out and experience that, you really start to see how different and how amazing this world really is. So I think our real definition of world schooling is just being out, going to different locations and different places and trying to see and experience as much as you can about that place, not just through the eyes of a tourist, but through the eyes of somebody who's there and living there and seeing how everything functions and works to the smallest intricacies. I love it. It's just amazing. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a, another question. I was just curious, what do you guys do right now for health insurance, if I may ask? Health insurance is very individualistic. So I work in healthcare, and I always encourage people to do whatever they feel is the most comfortable for them and their situation on their history. So if um, people are leaving the U.S., there are a lot of or any country for that matter, there's a lot of worldwide healthcare uh, insurances or systems that are in place so that if something does arise, you can take care of it in the moment. Because I work in healthcare, I'm a little more acute to what is going to be in the, in, in the next coming environment, what the system might be like, what to expect, what are some of the resources. Um, and healthcare tourism is a really big thing around the world. And we've experienced that in Turkey. We had our dental work done there very affordable and they're extremely professional and they're amazing and then while we were in um, Indonesia we actually had some preventative ultrasounds and x-rays done for um, like heart scans uh, sure. and okay. so we do a combination of I manage some of the health care and then we have health care managed in a lot of the places that we go, but as far as catastrophic goes, there are many companies that offer resources for like flights back home. Um, for an example, like we were in uh, Indonesia and we were with a family and one of the gentlemen rolled his ankle and broke his foot and he was a Canadian. And so he had national insurance from his country that gave him telemedicine and then reimbursed him for the x-rays and the uh, necessary follow-up equipment that he would need while he was here until his foot healed. He didn't need surgery or anything, but um, it just depends where you're from and kind of where you're going, I guess, depends on kind of what you feel like your level of comfort is for 
needing something. So there's a lot of different options. Sure, sure. That's helpful though. Thank you. I feel like that and also just um, for people in general starting on this journey, like the health care piece and then also figuring out what to do about lodging. Those are two big things that I think often come up. So it's interesting to hear yeah. what you guys have done. Yeah. I always try to plan for the worst and hope for the best. So I know where things are if we need it in an urgent situation. But it's always one of those things that you very rarely ever need, but it's still just good to know. This is an interesting question. I just like to ask, and it always depends a bit on your view of what an education is. But I'm curious, what do you do for education for your daughter, Erin, right now? That is a really good question. And when Ashley and I first started traveling and doing homeschooling, we tried to follow a curriculum because that's what we thought we had to do. <clears throat> Her mother is a retired school teacher for a public system okay. in Texas. And so we definitely felt like there was at least a standard or a bar that we needed to make sure we maintained. And what we learned was our child doesn't learn in the typical fashion of which we learned, which was to sit down and focus on the book. She's very hands-on. She's very physical. And by traveling and taking advantage of in real life moments to educate or to provide some sort of information on a thing or a situation or to use math and like a real scenario at a grocery store with money, I started to notice that there was a different, um, a different level of achievement that she was seeking by being able to do it like that. And so we have a mixed perception and use of a curriculum. We try to follow some things at some times. And then whenever we meet resistance, we kind of give up and we try to see how she sorts it out and figures it out on her own. And we have done a somewhat formalized school system with a community that has locations around the world. And she really enjoys the social aspects and the engagement, but it's not necessarily the math or the history or the English or the spelling that she like goes head over heels for. So we try to find moments to highlight those and to kind of engage in those. But in the overall scheme of things, I think we're all trying to raise really good humans. And as long as they turn out really good and do what they love, which is what I think most of us have all been preached about our entire lives is really what we want to find out that she does. And I don't remember ever being in an interview and asking when I learned how to read or if I knew how to do <laughs> fractions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Although I do that on a daily basis for my job, but uh, it's just not something that I think we personally find a lot of emphasis on and we want to let her figure it out. And by doing so, she has actually accomplished more on her own than we ever could have tried to enforce through a curriculum. So it's kind of a mixed bag. We do a little bit of, I guess, what people would term unschooling. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm also diving into more with Ani as well, because that's when the real learning happens, in my opinion, is when they really want to learn something and they dive into it and you get that flow state where they're really into what they're doing and you can learn a lot from, you can learn almost anything yeah. from anything, you know, 
I mean, I'm sure that's debatable depending on who you ask, but it's, it's amazing what you can yeah. start to get your mind outside of the public school um, system. So, yeah. There's so many different ways to learn things, and I think we forget that sometimes. And I don't know if it's a quote or if it was something that I just heard, but I, I read something that said if your child is struggling in math, but does really well in tennis. You don't hire a math tutor, you hire a tennis coach. And that really stood out because it's like, yeah, let's focus on the things that they enjoy because we can always circle back around and kind of get get them to where they need to be on the things that they're not really thrilled about. And so that I try to remind myself that every once in a while. Like when I see Aaron, for instance, surfing, I'm like, yeah, we're going to continue to do surfing and maybe not focus so much on spelling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. Very cool. Um, I'm curious, on your travels, have you guys figured out ways of keeping in touch um, with friends or relatives? Like, what has been something that you found helpful and supportive to maintain some form of connection as you move from place to place? Oh, gosh. Like-minded families and friends. Absolutely. That is, for us, that is the everyday sought after thing. So my parents are very encouraging of what we do, though they're not involved. They're, uh, they, I think they have a lot of self-imposed limitations on, oh, we can't travel or we can't go there. We don't have the energy or the time. And Ashley's parents do have the time and the energy and the means, but they are not the biggest advocates of what we do. They think that we should be in one place and stuck and settled down and in debt <laughs> so that we can see each other every once in a while. And so we haven't had a lot of um, engagement with the family. Now, Ash's sister came and visited us while we were in London, and it was incredible. We had a wonderful time, and the cousins got together. Aaron had two cousins, and they just love each other, and... It was so nice to be in person. So we got a lot of support from that and encouragement to keep doing what we're doing. But friends and like-minded families like you guys and everybody with the Traveling Village and some of the families that we've met at World Hubs, in fact, some of the folks that we're staying with right now in Perth, they have just made this the critical element that anytime we go somewhere, we have to find friends that we know or make friends and continue that yeah. relationship because that is critical. Uh, we love Erin and we want to spend every minute with her, but she realizes that we're not always playmates and we're not always parents and it's kind of hard and she needs kind of both as separate entities now that she's getting older and she's realizing that and she's kind of expressed to us a few times like, I need friends to run around with because you guys are boring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, <laughs> the different phases of your child's development and how Oh, yeah. I know that Erin and my daughter, Ani, have been trying to do a little bit of chatting with Roblox. And so that's like one connection that we're starting to form. And um, Ani has another friend in Washington State that she chats with almost every day. And it's been huge for oh, us wow. just to have like a consistent friend. This friend doesn't world yes. school, but she homeschools. And so it's like, whew, like at least, you know, they have that consistency as we travel around. But I agree, because when you get to a new place, you might be able to meet new people, but often they're in the regular system. So if you can find other world schooling families, that's huge, just as far as the acceptance piece and 
also getting ideas and feeling connected. So that's great. I'm excited to get to know you guys more in person shortly. What has been a low moment on your world schooling journey? And what would you do differently if you could go back in time and relive it? I think a low moment on our journey would be when we, shortly after we left, uh, we didn't have any specific destinations or groups of people that we were wanting to meet with. We were just on our own going from location to location. And we had gone to Ecuador and it was an amazing experience, but it was literally over a month with Aaron and us and that was it. And we were in a very highly non-English speaking area of Ecuador. So it, there was a lot of isolation, but Aaron did learn a lot of Spanish, forcefully so, because there were a lot of kids in the area. And so we went to Spain in kind of a similar situation for about a month. And we made it to England and everybody spoke English. And Aaron was like, she goes, I want to stay here because everybody speaks my language and I can make friends easy. And that was the point where we realized, oh, we, we need to be around people where we can engage daily with kids her age. And we also realized we need to be around people where we can engage with adults and share similar conversations and experiences because that friendship and that camaraderie is such a massive thing. We know a lot of families who are very solitary and they love that and that works really good for them. But for us, we have to be around other people and involved with friends or family or something because that makes a huge difference. So that was our low is when we realized we needed to change our process and do something a little bit different. But it was really good because it opened us up to more groups like what we're about to experience. That's great. And then what advice would you give someone in the beginning phase or stages of world schooling, people that are just wanting to get going but not sure where to start or? Oh, I think there's a lot of people who would be willing to share information to make it easier. And um, I think the biggest thing is the fear of the unknown. So just don't be afraid of it. Just embrace it and go with it because some of the locations or experiences that you never know are going to be great are usually often the most talked about, right? So we walked over a mile in the rain while it was cold, trying to find our Airbnb without a SIM card, waiting for the guy to show up, right? It's like, it was a horrible in the moment experience. But we still talk about it and we're like, you remember that time <laughs> we walked? And so I think just knowing also you you can go back to what you were doing. It's not a permanent thing. So even though you go on this adventure, it might seem like a lot. It might seem scary and foreign and new, but that's kind of the thrill of it. And just go for it. Just do it. There's so many things that you could try to plan for and you'll never plan for them all. So just go with what you got. If you are just darned and determined to figure out something before you get there, reach out to the community. We love to share all kinds of knowledge and tidbits. Uh, but everything that you need, you can find along the way. That's probably the biggest thing. So there's so much fear of unknown. Oh, what if we get here and we can't get this or we can't get that or we can't do this? You can get it. Everything will be great. And you'll never regret a moment of it. Thank you so much, Trace, for taking time to chat with me today. I really enjoyed it. Oh, yeah. 
thank you so much. This was great. And yeah, we look so forward to seeing you guys. We cannot wait. Take good care. I will. Thank you. You too. <laughs>